Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. So Jesus had a God-given strategy when it came to going viral and winning the lost. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Solomon going viral, but Jesus also had a strategy. Say strategy. So a lot of times we think because we're charismatic believers, we just come up with something random that the Holy Ghost only tells you stuff at the spur of the moment. No. The Holy Ghost has strategies. And remember, we studied at the ministry of Jesus. He said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. Jesus had a strategy. He got it from heaven. Let me show you part of his strategy. Mark chapter 1, verse 21, and they went into Capernaum. And straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. Now, we just read through that scripture. Oh, that scripture's not that important. Okay, Jesus went into a city, and he taught in the synagogue. Praise the Lord. But let me give you some definitions. Capernaum means village of comfort. Capernaum means village of comfort. This is Jesus' headquarters. This is where he moved to after he left Nazareth. He moved to Capernaum. He moved to the village of comfort. He has a house there. Whether he built it or bought it, we don't know. He has a house there. He is living there. This is a place where this city, he ministers there frequently. He performs many miracles frequently. He is well known in this city. It is a flourishing city located on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's called the village of comfort. Say village Village. of comfort. So we keep reading in verse 22. And they, the people who were in the synagogue, were astonished at his teaching, his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. See, demons come to church too. So, well, I saw them in church. That means I should date them. No, a lot of people come to church for a lot of different reasons. Well, I saw them in church. They had a spirit. They may have had a spirit. You need to make sure it's the right Holy Spirit, not others. Anywho. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Notice what happened here. Jesus didn't go up to a man try to cast out the demon. His teaching disturbed the demon. His authority disturbed the demon. Jesus didn't call the man out. He started teaching the Word of God with authority, with anointing, and the demon got agitated. So just because people act out in church doesn't mean it's the Holy Ghost moving them. Sometimes Satan will send people to disrupt what the Holy Ghost is doing in meetings. The Holy Ghost is going to move a certain way. Satan begins to sense it. So he sends someone to cause a distraction. Now, we don't see it that much because we have cell phones and you get distracted through our cell phones. But that's another message. But Satan had a strategy. So this unclean spirit is possessing this man and Jesus teaching. He's not just twitching anymore. Because I just bother anymore. He begins to cry out, what do I have to do with you, Jesus? From Nazareth, you don't even belong in Capernaum. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. You can't cast me out. That's what he's saying. You're God. You have no right to cast me out. He forgot that he's the Son of Man. And because he's also the Son of Man and the Son of God, he has complete authority to deal with the situation. But he quickly found out Because you see in verse 25, and Jesus rebuked him saying, shut up, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. Notice the last thing the unclean spirit tried to do before he was forced out by the authority of Jesus caused a scene. 
There are certain types of demons that like to cause scenes. They're loud. They draw attention to themselves. So just because Satan causes something doesn't mean you give him attention. You keep looking at the Word of God. You just act, well, nothing happened. Oh, what was that disturbance in the back? It doesn't matter. Don't give Satan attention. I remember times in different meetings and Satan would try to disrupt it. I remember a bishop telling a story one time of a person who came to church. They came to disrupt the meeting, and the person slithered down the aisle. Slithered. She was there. She was like, oh, just slithered. They cast out the demon and went on like nothing happened. How many remember Evangelist Diggs I brought here before? One time, there's ministers ministering the altar. The service had already ended. And this lady comes up and begins to manifest in front of Evangelist Diggs. Wrong person. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to manifest... A, in front of authority-filled believers, especially not Evangelist Diggs and Pastor Kett. Those are two people. You just don't do that. And so I guess the demon thought he was going to scare Evangelist Diggs, but Evangelist Diggs got nose to nose. How dare you come up in this church and begin to manifest? Do you know who we are? She's going nose to nose with the possessed person. You know what Bishop does? He runs over, casts out the demons. Who? Good job, Diggs. What is it? You can't be moved just because Satan tries something. Just because he shows his ugly head doesn't mean you should be moved. Take it as a compliment. If you were so moved, Satan, to send this attack in my life, I must be dangerous to you. If you never threaten me, then I guess I'm not a threat to you. But because you see me as such of a threat, thank you for letting me know that I got something to offer. Thank you for reminding me that the greater one's in me and you are afraid of me. You cannot be afraid of your enemy. Paul says us looking at the enemy eye to eye, not being moved, not being afraid is a sign to him that he will be destroyed. So whether he shows up as a possessed individual, some type of circumstance or situation in your life, do not be moved. Be unmovable. Be steadfast. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing what you do for God is not in vain. Don't be moved by the enemy. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be moved. By the enemy. Look at your other neighbor. Say, don't be moved by the pettiness of people. So you have to understand Satan has a strategy. This is an unclean spirit. But there's also things called harassing spirits. And so he'll send them to mess with you. And it's not always coming through the thoughts of your mind, even though that is one frequent way he does it. He'll send it to stir up other people who know how to push your buttons. Same with familiar spirits. They've been watching your family for generations. This tripped up your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather. Oh, it might trip you up too. Let's push that button. But if you resist, the enemy has to flee. Why resist it? He didn't run. Well, number one, you're not resisting long enough. Or two, you ain't really resisting. You can't fall for Satan's traps. You're more than a conqueror. You're anointed. You're an overcomer. Don't be afraid of what he does. Well, what if he kills me? You go to heaven. That's the worst case scenario for a believer. You go to heaven early. And it says Jesus took away the sting of death. That means when you die, you won't feel it. All of a sudden, you were here next week. Ooh, I feel real good right now. 
Don't be afraid of the devil. He's not even in your class. So Jesus handles the demon. And says, and they were all amazed and so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new teaching and doctrine is this? For with authority commands he even the unclean spirits. And they do obey him. He didn't say, well, Mr. Satan, it's time for you to come out now. If you feel like it, he told him what to do. And he expected the demon to respond the way he did. It's like when we read about Smith Wigglesworth. There was one, I believe in this case, somewhere in Britain, there was a young girl possessed with at least one devil, maybe multiple. It took five grown men to stop her from destroying the house because she was throwing four men around the house. So they held her down. He came in. Come out in Jesus' name. Demon's still acting crazy. And he walked away. Like, sir, she's still... He said, I gave the command of faith. And he went home. He was British. He probably had some tea. Woke up the next morning. That says, the girl's completely delivered. Then she got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. He says, of course, I gave the command of faith. Don't be moved by your enemy. Walk in the authority of the believer. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about in Galilee. Jesus goes viral. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So this lets us know Peter's house is close to the temple, which means it's large, it's a nice house, all these different things. So Jesus goes in there, but Peter's mother-in-law was laying there sick of a fever. And they told her, as Jesus came up and took her by the hand, one of the other gospels, he rebuked the fever, lifted her up, and she was healed. So she got healed and went to cook dinner. So, of course, Jesus is hungry. He just finished preaching. Just cast out devils. I'm sure he's hungry. So he's sitting there eating. And so as dinner ends, the sun is setting, meaning the Sabbath is ending. There's some knocks on the door. Because it says that even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. So by the time Jesus finishing enjoying his fried chicken with hot sauce. The gospel bird, as my grandfather calls it. <laughs> he refers to many of us in the family that are preachers as chicken eaters. So as soon as Jesus finishes, there's all these people gathered at the door, needing to be healed and delivered, needing Jesus. But how do they get there? Jesus went viral, and so as soon as the people left synagogue or left church, they went and told other people about Jesus. And they didn't just tell them, it says they brought them. They said, hey, we know where Jesus is. We watched him when he left church. He's right next door. So they went and grabbed all these people and brought them. The whole city is gathered at the door. And says, Jesus heals many that are sick. He cast out devils with his word. He keeps ministering to people. Now, you got to think, this is a citywide revival. If the whole city shows up at your house, this is a place to stay. The village of comfort is a place to stay. There is a revival. There is an awakening. The fire of God is falling. This is where we stay. So everyone goes to sleep and says, Jesus wakes up great while before dawn. Tips over all the sleeping disciples, all the snoring disciples. And he goes to a quiet place and pray. At some point, the disciples knew he was gone. Peter wakes up the rest of the guys, and they try to go find him. Because it says when they found him, means they were looking for him. And Peter says, everyone is looking for you. Come on, why did you leave the village of comfort? Everybody's looking for you. This is the place where we set up shop. But notice what Jesus said. 
See, the thing is, a lot of people want to stay in the village of comfort. They like to stay in their comfort zone. Why? It's comfortable. How many of you like to stay where it's comfortable? How many things are like that are comfortable? It's not a trick question. I like what's comfortable. Jesus likes what's comfortable. But sometimes your purpose has to take you beyond what's comfortable. To fulfill what God has called you to do and go viral, you have to leave the comfortable and go to where you're called. So when Peter asked Jesus, everyone's looking for you, Jesus' response is, let us go to the other cities and villages, for that's why I came. I didn't come to be comfortable. I came with a purpose. I came with the mission. Although I like Capernaum, although I like the village of comfort, although I like my house here, although I like the view of the Sea of Galilee, we've got business to handle. we got places to go. we got people to see. Let's go. So they went. So that's why Jesus went to villages and cities and towns. I heard one preacher say they studied it out. They said for Jesus to do all these things in three years, he moved fast. He was motivated by a purpose. Go to John chapter 4. Let's look at one of the villages he went to. Minister Eisman spent some time here in this chapter last week, so I won't spend too much time in it. John chapter 4. Remember, he's following the strategy of the Holy Ghost. He's going viral. He's leaving the comfort zone. He's leaving the village of comfort. You get to John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus baptized not, but his disciples, Jesus, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must, say must, needs to go through Samaria. Or another translation, it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. Then he comes to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus in the well, and it was about the sixth hour or noon. And there comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. Now why is Jesus sitting on the well? He's tired. He's been walking. If you've been walking miles, don't you want to sit down? It's noon. It's hot. We think it's hot in Georgia at noon. Imagine being hot in the Middle East. I've been to the Middle East. It's hot. We had a layover there as we were going to Zimbabwe last year, and me and Minister Dathan went out there, and Brother Barksdale, it's after 8 p.m., it was over 100 degrees. Hot. If I was there longer, I would have been dressed just like those sheiks. Me and Minister Dathan were talking about it. I was like, hey, that looks pretty nice right now. These jeans are really uncomfortable. How much is that outfit? Blazing hot. So Jesus sitting on the well, tired, hungry. The disciples are going to get some Chick-fil-A. And as Jesus sitting there, understand this is not a place of comfort, although he's sitting on the well. Samaria is not a village of comfort to the Jewish population. There was religious tension and racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. This has been going on for generations. By this point, in the early A.D., this has been going on for about at least 400 years or more. It's built. There's customs now because they don't want to talk to each other. But it says it was necessary for Jesus to go through there. It was necessary for Jesus to leave the village of comfort and go to Samaria where people wouldn't like him because of the way he looked. The woman comes to the well around noon. Now, the thing is, we have to read 
the scripture understand why is noon important. If noon is the hottest time of the day, you would not come to get water at noon. You come when it's early, you come when it's late. She came at noon because she didn't want anyone to be there. She didn't want anyone to see her. As you read the passage, she's been married five times. And the person she's living with now ain't her husband. So everybody knew it. It wasn't comfortable for her to be around the other women at the well because she knew they are going to run their mouths. Mm. Five, and now she's got a sixth one. I can't even get a date, Jesus. You better watch her. She may take your husband next. You stay over there. We, we see you. Mm-hmm. Becky with the good hair. We see you. So she sneaks out at noon to get some water. Wasn't expecting to see a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher on the well. So she's ignoring him, getting her water, and Jesus said, hey, can he give me something to drink? And she responds, how are you, a Jew, asking me for some water? So as you heard last week, Jesus begins this conversation. He begins with something natural to lead her to something spiritual. Jesus is not judging her. As you heard eloquently last week, he's ministering and maintaining her dignity. And so he says, go tell your husband to come and we'll talk some more. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you told the truth. You had five. The one you're worth now ain't your husband. And she goes, ooh, I perceive you're a prophet. That's a good guess on her part. So she begins to talk to him, ask him questions. And it gets to the point where she says, I know the Messiah is coming. I know the anointing one's coming. I know he's going to answer these questions when he gets here. He's going to tell her what's right and wrong. And Jesus says, I am he. She believes. At this point, the disciples are coming back. And John adds his commentary. He says, none of us ask, what are you doing? Or why are you talking with her? They're both still stunned that Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. But for whatever reason, Peter decided not to talk. And this is rare for Peter because Peter's always talking. And so this says, the woman leaves her water pot and goes into the city. Why is it important that the verse says she left her water pot? See, she came there to get water. But then she left as a vessel of living water. She left the water pot because she came a water pot. And instead of staying where it was comfortable, where no one could see her or be bothered with her or mess with her, she left what was comfortable and went to a city that had already judged her. A city that already knew her. A city that already knew about her past. Knew about all the people. All the people she was avoiding, she went straight to them and began to say, come meet a man that told me about myself. Everything I've ever done, he knew me like he made me. Come and meet him. Is this not the Christ? When we read on, that chapter says she was testifying. So she wasn't saying, hey, you can come meet someone. She's preaching. Come meet this person that told me. This is the Christ. Isn't this the Christ? She was so convincing that it says people believe that he was the Messiah because of what she preached. Other people were curious. So everybody in the city, let's come meet this person this woman's talking about. And it says, the disciples told Jesus, you need to eat. You're not eating enough. You know, Mary threatened us. and says, if you don't eat enough, she's going to come and get us. You need to eat. And he says, I have food that you don't know of. 
My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. And so they're not thinking of Samaria as a place to minister. They're not. It's not in their mindset. They're just there to get food. They're thinking they're just stopping over to get food. Ways directed them through the city. They might as well stop here and get food before they keep going. But Jesus had a different mindset. He had a different view because he told the disciples, look up or lift up your eyes. The fields are white with harvest. See, the disciples were nearsighted. See, when you're nearsighted, you only see what's in front of you. You can't see what's far off. And Jesus says, you need some glasses. You're just looking at you and what you need at the moment. But this opportunity to get some food was an opportunity to change a city. And if you can't see an opportunity, you won't take advantage of an opportunity. So Jesus tells them, you can't be nearsighted anymore. You have to see right in front of you. Don't pray, oh, the harvest is coming. The harvest is here and the harvest is ready. Look up. Lift up your eyes. And as he said it, the whole city is coming to Jesus because of the testimony of one woman. And so Jesus begins to teach. And everyone else in the city says, hey, we don't just believe on him now because you said something. We've heard the word from the word himself, and we believe him. So Jesus stayed there two days. A trip to get some food turned into a citywide revival. What opportunities to win people and affect our region are we missing because we're focused on getting food? He said, well, I just happen to like this type of food. Well, maybe God gave you the desire to like that type of food because one day you go to a certain restaurant and there's someone who needs Jesus. Maybe the reason you like coffee is because you're supposed to witness to your barista. Maybe you like, oh, I'm a fitness person. I like going to the gym. Maybe he's positioned you there to win someone to Jesus. you got to think of the desires and the things God has put in that is uniquely you. Maybe it's there to win somebody who will hear about Jesus through you. But in order to do that, you have to leave the village of comfort. Because, you know, it's okay. we're so used to, well, I got my business to handle. I got to do this. You're not paying attention to anyone. And the thing is, it's not bad. It's just how we live our lives. Because there's times I'm going places. I'm in my own world. And to help me stay in my own world, I have headphones. And it's not like little headphones so no one knows. I have big red headphones. So you know I'm in my own world. But what happens if we're in our own world all the time, and times you do need to go to your own place. But if you're in your own world all the time and you're never lifting up your eyes, you'll stay nearsighted and miss the people who need to know about your Jesus. Because after you've been saved a long time, you've won your circle. And so you think, well, I've won people to Jesus. I'm going to church. I'm serving. I'm good. But I guarantee you, you don't run into only Christians every day. So well, how do I know? You got to talk to people. Well, I'm an introvert. Well, you got the Holy Ghost. You can still talk. You could be an introvert and still want people to Jesus. But you have to lift up your eyes. You have to adjust your eyesight and look for the lost. We can't always be so focused on what we have to do that we miss the purpose in front of us. He says, well, what if they don't receive? What if they don't like me? They don't like Jesus. They don't always receive for Jesus. 
But isn't it worth it if somebody says yes? Isn't it worth being uncomfortable just for a moment in order to give someone a chance? Because I'm sure Jesus was uncomfortable when he left glory. I'm sure he was uncomfortable when he was whipped with a cat of nine tails. I'm sure he was uncomfortable when he was on the cross. I'm sure he was uncomfortable when he went to hell in our place. Can we get over our American ways long enough to be uncomfortable and feel awkward to tell someone else about Jesus? So, well, just let everyone be who they want to be. No. Do you want everyone to go to hell? Tell people about Jesus. Look for opportunities. And not everyone you talk to will get saved, but you may have sown a seed. You may have watered a seed, but you're playing your part. But the only way you can play your part is if you learn to leave the village of comfort, to leave your comfort zone, and step out into your purpose. Part of your purpose, no matter what you're called to do, is to win the lost. It's not the five-fold ministry gives purpose alone to win the lost. It says the five-fold ministry gifts were given to, to train up the believer, to do the work of the ministry. You are called to win the lost. Say, I am called to win the lost. Say, I am anointed to win the lost. God, open my eyes so I can see the harvest and win the lost. See, sometimes we get in such a habit of being faith people. Oh, I'm coming to the church. I mean, get a word from God. Good. You should come to church like that. But who are you bringing with you to get a word from God? See, the thing is we're preparing for the marriage supper of the Lamb. I might talk about that in a few weeks. But when you get there, will you have a plus one? Or are you just going stag? You're going alone. Hey, I made it. Well, who did you bring with you? When you cross those pearly gates... Will there be a crowd that says, I got there because you said yes to Jesus? Or were you just sneaking there by yourself? Who are you bringing with you? Whose life are you transforming? Because you may not know that one person saved, well, they're just working at Target. It doesn't, you know, I want them. I know Jesus loves them. You don't know that person working at Target could be the next Billy Graham. So you have to be open. You have to check your spirit. God, do you want me to say something to that person? If you want to say something to my waiter or waitress today, if you want to say to that person that's being annoying next to me, you have to be open. Keep your eyes open. The harvest is ready. See, things we pray for an awakening. We pray for revival. We pray for harvest. Yes, we should, but someone has to go and reap. You can pray for a harvest all day, but if you don't get your sickle out and go get somebody, come on, what's the point of praying? Faith without works is dead. We're believing for awakenings. We're believing for revivals. But if you don't go put some feet to your faith, what's the point of praying for revival and awakening? You must pray for it, and then you must go be the awakening. Go be the revival. Go be the carrier of the fire of God. Wherever you go. And let Jesus use you to win people. Go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. 
Let's stop there and talk about what is the country of the Gadarenes. Because we read through things and we don't understand the context. One of the reasons I never understood the context, but I was like, something has to be different about this area if there's a herd of pigs there. Because Jews don't eat pigs. So something's different about this area if there are thousands of pigs on that hillside. So when I studied it out, this is the area of Decapolis, which means the region of 10 cities. The population of Decapolis was chiefly pagan. The 10 cities were not an official league or political unit, but they were grouped together because of their language, culture, location, and political status. The Decapolis cities were centers of Greek and Roman culture in a region that was otherwise Semitic and Jewish. Each city had a certain degree of autonomy and self-rule. The Roman government wanted Roman culture to flourish in the farthest reaches of the empire, which at that time included eastern Palestine. So they encouraged the growth of these ten cities, allowing them some political autonomy within the protective sphere of Rome. Each city functioned as a city-state with jurisdiction over an area of the surrounding countryside. The Romans strongly left their cultural stamp on all of these cities. Each one was eventually rebuilt with a Roman-style grid of streets based around a central road. The Romans sponsored and built numerous temples and other public buildings. The imperial cult, the worship of the Roman emperor, was a very common practice throughout the Decapolis and was one of the features that linked the different ten cities. The cities may have also enjoyed a strong commercial ties fostered by a network of new Roman roads. This led to their common identification today as a federation or a league. It was a heavy Greek area, but there was a significant population of Jews, although groups historically crashed in the area. Decapolis was not a Capernaum. It was not a city of comfort. Yet the Holy Ghost led Jesus there. He led him into an area where the majority of people worshipped the emperor where they're pagan temples, where people are worshiping all these false gods. An area, a culture that's not comfortable, yet Jesus led him, the Holy Ghost led Jesus there anyways. So when he was come out of the ship immediately, now what happened before, there was a whole bunch of turbulence in the waters, demonic inspired, maybe another message will talk about it. So he got through the resistance to get to the place the Holy Ghost wanted him to be. And immediately, as soon as he takes a step off the ship, the men him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. Society tried to control him, but they couldn't control him. You can't drug out a demon. You can't analyze out a demon. This demon was strong enough. Society could not contain him. They tried to chain him up and try to lock him away, but he always break free. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. See, cutting is demonically inspired. So every day, every night, people thought that hill was haunted because you have a man filled with devils yelling and screaming and making supernatural noises. Everyone knew who lived there, and everyone was afraid. He had the region wrapped in fear. This principality and power that possessed the man controlled the whole region. This is not just a demonic spirit. This is a regional demonic spirit controlling the whole countryside in fear, impressing his personality of fear on the countryside. But when he, the man, saw Jesus far, afar off, he ran and worship him. 
But then the demon cried out with a loud voice and said, And what have I to do with you, Jesus, you son of the most high God? I adjure you by God that you torment me not. Now, he's trying to use his legal phrase because he's like, you can't deal with me. I know you're the son of God. You have no authority to deal with me. But they don't realize he's also the son of man. And because of the son of man, he has the authority. For Jesus had said unto him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, Jesus begins to say, what is your name? Now, that doesn't mean every time you see a possessed person, you go ask them their name. Why did Jesus ask this demon-possessed person their name? Because the Holy Ghost told him to. He said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. So this is not common practice on how you deal with devils. Have a conversation. Hey, what's your name? How's your mama name? No, this is not what he wants you to do. The common practice of scriptures to dealing with demons is to cast it out. Tell it to be quiet and to leave. Now, speaking of demons and deliverance, you can't cast out demons of people who want to keep them. Some people like their demons. They give them pet names. If they want to keep it, you can't cast it out. Now, if they want to be delivered, you can cast it out. But if they want to keep it, you can't do anything with it. It's their will. So Jesus is talking and having this conversation inspired by the Father. He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion can mean between 2,000 to 6,000. So now this demon is trying to intimidate Jesus. It's thousands of us. What can you do with us? And he besought him much, because Jesus wasn't backing down from his faith command, that he would not send them away out of the country. Why? He's been ruling this region. But now there was nigh into the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, send us into the pigs. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place. So notice what's going on. The demon's like, the pigs are like, and we ain't handing with them. Time for us to go. And they ran into the sea. And they that fed the swine, the, the pig shepherds, told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Most people would rejoice, but this region was terrified. Why? That spirit has imprinted fear on that region. Even though the spirit's gone, they only know how to respond in fear because that's all they know that they've been used to. See, demons try to imprint their personality on the culture. That's why you go to certain places, and if you're walking with God, you can sense something's going on. Like, where's that? It's what the demon's trying to do in that area. And they began to beg Jesus to leave their coast. So Jesus did. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil begged him that he might be with them. Hey, let me be one of the disciples. I don't want to leave you. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for loving me. Let me stay with you. Let me stay with the 12. Let me stay with the 70. Let me go with you wherever you go. Let me learn from you. Let me go to the Jesus Bible school. How be it Jesus didn't allow him, but said unto him, go home to your friends. This phrase for your friends is interesting. It doesn't mean just friends. It means go to your own people, your crew, your clique, your community, your circle. And tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. So Jesus gave him a message to preach. 
Go tell people the great things God has done for you, and go tell them how he's loved you, how he showed you love. So what did that man do? He departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. I want you to notice something. The woman at the well and the formerly possessed person. He told them, go. Go tell people. He didn't say, well, you had to be saved for five years. You have to go to Bible school. You got to fast and pray. And when someone says you're worthy, you can go tell your testimony. No. As soon as you believe on Jesus, you're qualified to tell others about what Jesus has done for you. Now, you may not be qualified to teach all the scriptures, but that's not what Jesus told you to do. Jesus' strategy for going viral is for the people who have been touched by his love and goodness to tell other people about what he did. The woman says, hey, come meet a man that told me everything about myself. This man left and says, hey, I was bound, but now I'm free. The devil had me tripped, but now I'm free. Why? Because Jesus loved me. This is what he began to preach. This is what he began to say. And the whole region heard about it. Not just the Jews, the Greeks, and the Romans heard about it. There's a man named Jesus who could do what we couldn't do. The Roman society was the most advanced society at that time. They tried to tame this demonic possessed man. They couldn't do it. They worshiped the emperor, and the emperor couldn't do it. But Jesus could And they were all amazed at the power of the love of Jesus. The power of the love of Jesus changed that region. When Jesus came back to the region, they weren't running from him. They were bringing people to him. Why? They heard what Jesus could do. How do they hear that? Because Peter went, no. Because John went, no. Because James went, no. Because somebody went and told someone else what Jesus had done for him. Who have you told lately? What Jesus has done for you. And it doesn't have to be something that's so big and so huge. It's, oh, my life is not like that woman. My life is not like that man. It's whatever Jesus has done for you. Whoever you told him that he's provided for you, that he met your needs. That when you weren't feeling well, he healed you. That when you're down, he gave you the right word. Who have you told about what Jesus has done for you lately? I'm not talking when you first got saved and you were just on fire. You talked to anything that moved. You preached to trees and squirrels. I'm talking about who have you talked to lately about what Jesus has done? He says, well, I don't know who to talk to about it. Well, adjust your eyesight and fix your hearing. Listen to people as they talk about. People just talk. They run their mouths all the time. Listen to them talk about what they're going through. Instead of just checking out and ignoring, well, God bless you, and God bless your heart, the nice southern expression. Just say, hey, you know what? I went through something like that. But here's what Jesus did for me. And he'll do it for you too. And ask them if they're saved. And if they're not, lead them to Jesus. And if they are, you pray the prayer of faith and ask Jesus to do the same thing for them. Practice your testimony. Go over at home. Talk about what Jesus has done. And he convinced him, hey, if he did it for me, he will do it for you. There is a unique anointing on your testimony. That when you began to tell your testimony, 
there's a unique anointing that's on your life that will begin to work in the room and on the person you are talking to. It will prepare their hearts for remove burdens and destroy yokes and give it an opportunity to respond. But you must tell your testimony. You must you say, well, I don't really have a testimony. I've been saved at young age. I follow God. That is a testimony. The same Jesus that delivers is the same Jesus that can keep you. He said, hey, you know, there's so many opportunities for me to go the wrong way, but I didn't. It's not because I'm so smart. I was just a good person. It's because Jesus kept me. And that might have not been your story, but you have kids, but Jesus can keep your kids too. It doesn't matter what you did. Come on. Come to Jesus. Come to church. Jesus will keep your kids. Tell your story. Be led by the Holy Ghost. He'll tell you what to say and what not to say. He'll tell you when you're getting long-winded. He'll tell you when you haven't said enough. He'll tell you what to say. You just got to follow the gentle promptings. Don't be deep. Don't be super spiritual. Don't go, hiya, thank you. No, please. No. You don't got to do all that. There's a place for that and there's a place not to do that. Just be you. And if you're not a person that goes, hiya, thank you, 24-7, then don't do that when you're telling your testimony. And it doesn't have to be the deep testimony. It doesn't even have to be a weird experience. Like, well, I had this experience with God one time. It was really weird. Let me tell you about it. No, that's not the time for it. What is the time? Here's what Jesus did for me. Here's what he'll do for you. Won't you come to know my Jesus? It's doing the work of the evangelist. It's winning the lost. It's looking for opportunities to bring people to Jesus. Pray for opportunities and be bold enough to take them. Go to Acts chapter 1 and we'll close here. So listen for opportunities. Listen to what people are saying. Listen for it. But then there's times when you're minding your own business, you heard nothing, the Holy Ghost will tell you, go talk to that person. So you know what you do? Go talk to that person. Don't say, oh, the Lord sent me to talk to you today. I only say that if he tells you to say that. What do you just say? Hi. How you doing? Good to see you. God bless you. And let them open up. See, what happens if you start walking in this anointing and being open, you'll run into people, they'll tell you their whole life story. Everything. More stuff than you ever wanted to know. You, they'll be talking, you'll be asking Jesus, please help me forget this as soon as they're done because I did not want to know these details. <laughs> But you listen to the prompt in the Spirit and let the Holy Ghost talk through you to win people. Because the thing is, they can debate your doctrine, but they can't debate your experience. They can tell you, well, I don't believe. I believe in Buddha. I believe in Allah. I believe in this. I believe in that. But they can't tell you Jesus didn't do that for you. They can debate every Facebook meme they've ever seen and say, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what Jesus did for me. And what Jesus will do for you. Don't debate them. They say, hey, Jesus did this for me. This is why I don't believe in all these things. I don't need you to believe in all these things. What are you going to do about Jesus? Well, I don't have faith enough to be healed, but I do. And so does Jesus. Let me pray for you. And you just say whatever he tells you to say. There are people that I run into and different things I do, and I see them. They're not saved. But they go through something and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, do you need anything? 
There's one person in particular I'm thinking about right now. I found out that he went through a situation. I'm texting, hey, I'm praying for you. He ain't saved. He's in another religion. But you know what I'm praying for him. Praying for him every day. God opened the door for someone to talk to him about Jesus. Come on, if you want me to say something, I'll say it. What's happening? Laying the groundwork, sowing and watering. Because people have to know about Jesus. Yeah, we're faith people, but we've got to be faith people that bring people to Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power, dunamis, explosive miracle power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. They were in Jerusalem. That's where they're comfortable. Judea is the surrounding region, Samaria, people who don't like them, people who don't look like them, and cultures that are opposed to them. Uttermost parts of the earth, that's everywhere else. One of the reasons you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost is to be a witness. A witness is one who gives evidence, who bears record, who shares information. You're supposed to be a witness about what Jesus has done, not just in general in the Bible, but what he did for you. Now, you don't have to tell everybody you meet about that. Notice what I said, follow the leading of the Spirit. There'll be certain stories to tell you to tell, certain stories to tell you not to tell. But you have to be sensitive to his leading. Because, well, what if I mess up? You probably will. But the Holy Ghost still tells you anyways. Believe that even in your mess up, the Holy Ghost can cover it. And you keep doing it, you'll learn how to do it better. You're walking with them. You're growing. You know, when your baby starts walking first time, they didn't just take off running. They stumbled a few times. You may stumble through your testimony, but the Holy Ghost can anoint your stumblings. So I tripped over my words. The Holy Ghost can anoint them anyways. Now, yes, practice and get better, but you got to start somewhere. If you keep saying, well, I'll start when I get to a certain point, you'll never start. Well, I'll start when I feel anointed. You'll never start. You can't just get start, witness to people when you feel anointed. Man, if I only preached when I felt anointed, I'd preach a lot less. But it's not because I feel anointed. I just know I am. And I expect when I step into this place, whatever I need, the Holy Ghost will give me. But what if you prepare the wrong message? After I've prepared and given over the Holy Ghost, it's up to him. He'll change my message, say whatever he wants to say. It's the same way when you witness. Well, I didn't pray enough today. Well, just believe Jesus still lives in you. You need to pray today. Oh, I ought to read enough word. Well, just believe that you got word somewhere in your life. Stop coming up with excuses. Just go tell someone about you, Jesus. So what happens if they ask me a question that I don't know how to answer? Just be honest. I don't know. But let's go to church. They can answer it. Don't just invite them. Bring them. So, oh, yeah, I'd love to come to church someday. How about Sunday? Well, maybe if I can get there. Where do you live? Well, come pick you up. What's being fishers of men? If you can cook, bait them with a meal. If you can't cook, please don't. <laughs> Find something else. It's time to win people for Jesus like never before. It's time to go out and be Christians. It's to overcome the uncomfortability, the awkwardness. That keeps you in your Christian shell. Be like the woman at the well. Be like the delivered man. 
Go tell someone what Jesus has done for you. Believe that God can use you to win the lost. Pray the salvation prayer with them. What's the salvation prayer? You hear me pray it every Sunday. What if I stumble over it? doesn't matter. What's the core of it? They believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's Lord, that he died and raised again. It's like, oh, I might stumble over those words. You get that main part out, they're good. No, Sister Gloria got saved by herself. She didn't know much what to say. She was reading the Bible to the Lord, take my life and do something with it. And she got gloriously saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Start with what you know. Go with what you know. And flow. Don't be so uptight. Just flow. Let him speak through you. He wants to win people in your area. He wants to win people in your neighborhood. You've got to be open. You have to listen. You have to adjust your eyesight. And you have to leave the village of comfort. You have to leave your comfort zone so that you can go viral. Because on the other side of your comfort zone, on the other side of you going viral, is someone who needs to hear about your Jesus. And they need to hear it through you. Stand to your feet. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the leading and the help of the Holy Ghost. Now, Father, help us not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word so we can be blessed in our doing. Help us not to be nearsighted Christians. Help us to lift up our eyes and see that the harvest is ready all around us. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit, to follow your promptings as we witness to others. Grant us opportunities and grant us boldness to take those opportunities. Bring people across our path. Lead us across their path. Help us overcome any sensitive insecurities and fears and awkwardness so that we can win our world to Jesus so that we can bring healing and deliverance through the power of the love of Jesus and ignite an awakening in this area. I thank you for it, Father, and give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.